0: God, we do thank You for this morning. Lord, we love You. Thank You, Lord. Thank You, thank You for what You did on the cross, Lord. You lived sinlessly. Lord, You were accused falsely. And You were slain on the cross. And You shed Your blood for the sins of people like me, Lord God, that didn't deserve it, Lord God. You took our punishment. You took our blame for the things we did, Lord. And Lord, you rose again victoriously on the third day, and Lord, we commemorate that this day. Lord God, it still means everything to us, Lord. It brings to us salvation, and Lord, for that we are eternally grateful. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. You know, Resurrection Sunday is not only the most important date just to us church folks, but really it's the most important date in all of human history. You know, I like this old saying I heard a while back. It says that the, the Old Testament predicts a person, in the New Testament, presents that person and the person that it presents his name is Yeshua HaMashiach Jesus the Christ the Messiah you know he came miraculously to this earth through a virgin birth and his ministry really his ministry total only lasted two or three years yet it changed the course of human history and still is today you know last night uh I don't know if any of you have heard of the little mini-series called The Chosen. Anyone ever heard of that mini-series? It is fantastic. Um, I binged a little bit of it late last night until I kind of fell asleep. Um, But it's one of the best little mini-series I've ever seen, kind of documenting the like of of Christ and the disciples. And it is fantastic, kind of has a uh, perspective of Nicodemus woven in there, and it's fantastic. But I was watching that last night, and man, I just don't know what it is. Whenever I see Christ, it's just like, wow, he's awesome. Yeah. But I, I also wanted to remind you that that miniseries, Season 2, Episode 1, I, I believe it premieres today at some time. Um, I, don't know, I, I don't know if they're on YouTube or wherever you get yours, but I have a little app called Angel. Um, and they let you watch it for free. So that's how I do it, and cast it to my TV. So I encourage you, watch that Chosen series. It is fantastic. So Jesus, His ministry only lasted for two or three years. And the reason it only lasted two or three years is because the world hates light, because light exposes evil deeds done in darkness. So we got rid of Him. We got rid of Jesus. We crucified Him on the cross. Which is where, precisely where we need to start reading today. Now, as I get started, I'm going to ask for your best ear. I'm going to ask that you pay close attention because I have to kind of jump to some different places that are going to be seemingly completely unrelated and might not make a whole awful lot of sense until we get to the very end. So please stick with me for a while and it will make sense when we get to the end, but things will you'll probably think, what are you talking about? You're talking about this, now you're talking about that. What's just, just hang with me for a little bit. We're going to start this morning with Jesus as he is just getting ready to die on the cross. Now, obviously, don't want to make light of everything that he went through up until that point, but because of time constraints, we are going to start right at the point when he dies, when the Bible says he yields up the ghost. And I'm going to ask you to pay close attention to the veil, when the veil is torn. Now, I know many of you are familiar with that. If you're not, I'll explain it in a moment, okay? Now, I know that you've heard, I I have preached on the veil before. You've probably heard people preach on the veil many a times before. I know Pastor Joe has preached on the veil before. So, don't mentally check out on me, because I believe there's something extremely, extremely important about this veil that we overlook. It's very easy to not see, yet it's right there in our face. So, it's one of the little hidden mysteries that are found in the Word of God. I say this a lot from the pulpit, but the Bible is full of little hidden mysteries. Everything in the Bible is interrelated and God is very intentional. Now, we're going to start reading in Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. Um, I apologize. We are down to one screen. We have a projector project going on. That one is deceased for the moment. So apologize to everyone over there. You got to look way over here or in your Bibles. We are working on that. We have one of the new ones. We'll we'll uh, we'll get the new ones up soon. Matthew chapter 27, verse 50. And remember, everyone's going to turn their thinking caps on this morning and, and stick with me. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks rent. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Verse 54 says, Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly this was the Son of God. So here we're starting out with Christ's complete agony on the cross. And He yells out and He yields up the ghost. He dies. And He has been mocked. He has been tortured. He is among common criminals. He's in between two common thieves. And he, oh, He's been betrayed. He's been forsaken. Even His closest have turned on Him and said, I don't even know who this man is. They even cursed. They even swore an oath saying, I have no idea who this man is. And there he is on the cross, completely forsaken, beaten, bloodied, spit upon, beard yanked out, slapped, mocked, insulted, you name it. We gave him the worst that humanity had to offer. And there he is, he cries out with a loud voice, and he dies. We got, this, got rid of the light out of this world because this world hates light because it exposes evil deeds of darkness. All he ever did was good. He lived completely sinless completely sinless and all of the sins of the whole world were placed on this man as he hung there on the cross as he hangs there dying his sinless self is paying for the all the liars It's paying for all the idolaters, all the prideful, all the arrogant, all the murderers, all the sexually immoral. All those things were imputed to him. All the selfishness, all those that are vain, all the adulterers, all the thieves and the drunkards you name it that was imputed to Christ as he hung there on the cross. And he cries out with a loud voice and he dies. And then all kinds of stuff happened. That veil is torn. From top to bottom, earthquakes. People start seeing visions uh, of Elijah, uh, of the prophets in the holy city. A big earthquake. The centurion says, man, there's something to this man. Truly, he was the son of God. Again, I'll say this is one of the most important moments in all of human history. See, really, there's, there's three different kinds of people that that I feel like you can kind of generalize us human beings into. There's people that they don't care at all about their soul. They don't care at all about eternity. Just don't care. I don't care. Doesn't, nope. Whether they're blinded by the enemy or whatever it may be, they just don't care. Or there's another group of people that tries to convince everyone else they're good. There's nothing wrong with me. I'm good. I haven't killed anyone. I haven't dealt any drugs. I'm good. I don't need to worry about all this stuff. Or there's the third group of people who are like me, Who confess openly, I got problems, I have done things wrong, I have broken His law, and I need a Savior. There's three different groups of people. Which one of those groups are you in this morning? I'll tell you what, I don't try to hide the fact that I need a Savior. (laughs) If you go opening up my closets, guess what? Skeletons are going to fall out of it. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, we read moments ago, that When he dies, the very next thing that occurs in history is that this veil is torn from the top to the bottom. It's torn. There were earthquakes. People saw these visions of saints and prophets in Jerusalem. So much so that when this Roman centurion saw this, they became afraid and they admitted something about Jesus. Now, I told you that I I believe God really wants us to focus on that veil this morning. Now, like I said, I know of you, some of you are some Bible buffs, and maybe you know everything there is to know about the veil. Maybe some of you is not so much. So let me explain just a little bit about the veil this morning. Okay, there was an old tabernacle system. What that meant was God, who is holy, perfect, pure, He wanted to dwell with His people God loves people, okay? He loves His people. He always has. God would rather everyone be saved. Of course, humanity chooses otherwise, but God wants to be with His people, so He instituted a tabernacle system where His presence could come down and be in this tabernacle, and He could be close with His people. Okay, now we're not going to get into the big setup of the tabernacle. That would take too long, but the veil... I remember the veil that was torn right after Jesus dies. It separated the holy place from the most holy place, which was inside this tabernacle. And it screened from view the Ark of the Covenant with the cherubim from just the, the, the other priests could not see. And it was all closed off. This, this veil was a partition, if you will. And God dwelt on the other side of that veil in the mercy seat. Very, very holy place beyond that veil. Exodus chapter 26, verse 33, tells us just a little bit about it. It says this And thou shalt hang up the veil under the tax, which means clasps. Thou shalt hang up the veil under the clasps, that thou may bring in thither within the veil the ark of the testimony. And the veil shall divide unto you between the holy place and the most holy place. And thou shalt put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony in the most holy place. Okay, and the Bible goes on to tell us that the high priest... He was the only one that could go through this veil into the most holy place where the mercy seat, where the presence of God was. He was the only one that could do it, and he could only do it once a year on the day that is called Yom Kippur. Okay, He was the only one that could do it. Even the other priests, they couldn't go in. It was just that one high priest, and he had to do everything right. He couldn't just walk in there. People like you and I, we couldn't just say, Hey, I want to talk to God. I want to see what He looks like. I want to see what He's doing. I want to experience the presence of God. You couldn't just walk in there. You would be slain dead. Why? Because God is so perfectly holy, and we are so unperfect and unholy and sinful. So God's holy presence was in there. And the veil was the partition between the two. The divider, if you will. Now again, I know that many of you have heard preaching on the veil. But again, I'll remind you, there's something very, very significant and important that we miss about the veil. Okay, this high priest was the only one that could enter in this Holy of Holies one day a year on the Day of Atonement. He would offer a sacrifice in there for the sins of himself and for the people, the nation of Israel. The book of Hebrews teaches us also a little bit more about the veil. And I'm going to read this because it's a little tricky sometimes in King James. I always read King James, but I'm going to read this to you in the New International Version. Okay, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 2 says this. A tabernacle was set up. In its first room were the lampstands and the table with its consecrated bread. This was called the holy place. Just talking about the different instrumentations and rooms in the tabernacle. Verse 3 says, Behind the second curtain, or the veil in other words, was a room called the Most Holy Place, which had a golden altar of incense and the golden covered ark of the covenant. This ark contains the gold jar of manna, Aaron's staff that had budded, and the stone tablets of the covenant. Verse 5 says, Above the ark were the cherubim of the glory, overshadowing the atonement cover. But we cannot discuss these things in details now. When everything had been arranged like this, the priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry on their ministry. But only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year, and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people they had committed in ignorance." Verse 8 says the Holy Spirit was showing by this that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed as long as the first tabernacle was still functioning. This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshiper. Okay, so that's giving us a little bit more background information on the veil, on this temple setup, on the old tabernacle, the, the way they used to do things in the Old Testament, under the Old Testament. This, this veil was this partition of separation. Okay, and on the other side of that was the mercy seat, was the Ark of the Covenant, was the cherubim. And that represented, that was where the Spirit of God dwelled. So that God could dwell with his people. Now it was all veiled off to regular people like you and I. But that high priest could go in there only once a year. So this veil blocked the view of the most holy place. Blocked the entrance to God. The priests couldn't even go in. Only that high priest and only one time a year. Very, very sacred place. That's kind of something we've lost in, in uh, us modern human beings, we've, we've lost a lot of the sacred things of God that we should hold reverent. You know, if this place was so holy, it, it represented the presence of God, and it's where the presence of God dwelled, that if that high priest, the only one permitted, if he went in there and did something wrong, he was instantaneously fell over Dead. Because the presence of God was so thick and so manifest in that Holy of Holies that everything had to be done perfectly. He had to dress perfectly. He had to put on these ceremonial garbs and it had to be perfect and flawless. Couldn't have dirt smudges on it. Nothing could be wrong or he would fall over dead. He had to say everything correctly. He had to perform everything correctly. If he did anything wrong, bam, he was instantaneously slain because of the presence of God was so holy. Holy. You can't mess up in His presence. You can't be a regular old sinner and just go in there and say, Hey, God, how you doing? How you doing, God? It it just doesn't work that way. God is so pure and holy and powerful. The veil represented that separation between God and man. God wanted to dwell with us, but we're too sinful. His people are too sinful. You understand, in heaven, there can't be any sin. There is no sin in heaven, only perfection in heaven. God only allows perfection in heaven. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1 kind of gives us a glimpse of this. It says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. Verse 2 says, But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid His face from you, that He will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perverseness. The Bible saying here that God wants to be with people. He wants to be close with people. He wants to commune with you and me. He wants that. But he's saying, I can't because there's iniquity found inside of you. And God can't buddy up to the people full of iniquity because he's pure and holy. This old tabernacle system, this Old Testament tabernacle system, it did not cleanse. It did not cleanse, it only covered. In other words, it made tolerable our disposition before God. Okay, it didn't cleanse us, it just made Him tolerate, able to tolerate us so that His presence could stay in that most holy place and He could dwell with His people. Your iniquities have separated between you and your God and your sins have hid His face from you that He will not hear. What do you mean hid His face? He's hidden behind the veil. The veil closes Him off. We can't see Him, we can't go to Him, we can't approach Him. So there's this veil of separation between God and man. The high priest would would perform this sin offering once a year on the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur. And it would cover the sins of the people. But it was only partial atonement. Only partial. It did not completely wash away and cleanse away the sins from the people. How do we know that? Because they had to keep performing it under this old system, they would have had to keep performing it over and over and over and over and over because we keep messing up. We keep making mistakes and we only have a partial atonement under the old tabernacle system so we had to keep on doing it because we keep on messing up. And it also meant that we could not be in the presence of God. Regular people couldn't approach God. God was in the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, where the mercy seat was. The Ark of the Covenant had the Ten Commandments inside of it. We've all seen Indiana Jones and that that pretty neat depiction of the Ark of the Covenant. That is where the presence of God was. There's people in the Bible, there's stories in the Bible where people carried the Ark wrong. There was a specific way everything had to be done specifically, exactly like God said because of His holiness. If you did anything wrong... There's stories of people instantaneously died because of the holy presence of God. And they did something wrong and died. Hmm. But God was in the Holy of Holies. The ark was in there. The mercy seat was in there. And that was as close as man could get to God. He was veiled. He was hidden from us. He was cloaked behind the veil. Sin separated God from humanity, separated God from getting any closer to us. But when Jesus died, we see that the very next thing that happens in Matthew, we read it. The very next thing that happens was this veil is torn from the top to the bottom. Okay, from, from heaven down to earth. As though God in His majestic hands started at the top and ripped this veil, breaking down this partition between God and man. And what did break down the partition? The sacrifice of the blood of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, the veil was torn to top, from the top to the bottom, from heaven down to earth. It signified that Christ's blood made the atonement for sins once and for all to all those who believe. Jews or Gentiles, does not matter. Christ's blood atones for all who believe. But even in that, we've missed something already. We missed something important. And to find it, we've got to go way back to the Garden of Eden. We've got to look back to the Garden of Eden. It, it amazes me how many times I'm preaching and to figure something out, you've got to go very back to the beginning. You've got to go all the way back to Genesis. So many times I find myself looking back at the beginning. And here we are again. We've got to go all the way back to the beginning, to original sin. We've got to look at something about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve sin. We, we know that story. They eat of the forbidden fruit that God commanded them not to eat. Okay, now here's where I'm talking about something. You're gonna think, wait a minute, you was just talking about the veil. Now you're talking about Adam and Eve. Doesn't seem like they're related. They will be. Adam and Eve sin. They eat the forbidden fruit, and along with their sin comes the curse of sin and death. Now we have to deal with all this junk that we got to deal with all the time. All this junk that goes on in our lives. All of the junk, all the stuff, diseases, sins, suicide, murder, you name it, all of it can be traced back. If you go far enough back, it can be traced back to original sin in the Garden of Eden. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22 it says this. It says, And the Lord God said, Now remember, they had just eaten of this forbidden fruit, Adam and Eve did. Sin is now going to be pronounced and cursed over us. Genesis 3.22, And the Lord God said, Now everyone keep your thinking caps on. Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent forth from the garden of, God sent him forth from the Garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. Verse 24 says, So he drove out the man, and he placed at east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So God, in other words... Boots out Adam and Eve. Alright? You can't listen to my very basic commandments. Then I can't let you live here. I'm kicking you out. It says, so God drove him out. God said, out Adam and Eve. Out of the Garden of Eden. Get out. Because in this Garden of Eden was this strange entity called the Tree of Life. Okay? And whoever eats of this Tree of Life lives forever. God sees this and says, "Uh, we got to get them out of here. Okay, now, I'm going to confess to you, I I do not understand everything about the tree of life. Okay, maybe that's a good study we can address someday. But the tree of life is a fairly mysterious tree. Uh, The Bible does tell us a little bit about it, but I'll admit to you openly, I don't know. I can't grasp my mind around everything about this tree of life. It's kind of mysterious. Like I said, keep your thinking caps turned on. But Revelations 2.7 tells us this about the tree of life. And if you've been involved in our Revelation study uh, that we do next door on Sunday evenings, you'll be familiar with this. Do you remember at the beginning of the study, we talked about the seven t- churches, the letters to those seven churches found in Asia Minor. Revelations 2.7 is one of those. It says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says unto the churches, to him that overcomes will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. So here it's talking about this mysterious tree of life again, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Later in Revelation 22, at the very end of the Bible, verse 1, listen to this now, talking about the tree of life again. Remember, I'm saying these things seem very unrelated, but stick with me. Verse 1 in chapter 22 says, And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. This is talking about up in heaven now, New Jerusalem. Verse 2 says, In the midst of the street of it and on either side of the river was there a tree of life which bare twelve manner of fruits and yielded her fruit every month and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So there's something special about this tree of life. There's something that the Bible says even here in Revelations that maybe when we go to heaven and and we're all torn up and this world is war-torn and ravaged by murder and all kinds of terrible things, maybe we can partake of this tree of life and it'll begin to heal the nations and healing will take place through this mysterious tree of life. And we can only speculate some things about the tree of life. Maybe some people conjecture that it was destroyed by the flood. Or maybe some people conjecture that God took it out of the Garden of Eden and and brought it up to heaven. I don't know. We can only kind of make some educated guesses. That maybe God transplanted it to heaven. I don't know. All I know is it's in the midst of the paradise of God. And if you eat of it, good things happen to you. But we can say this definitely. One could say that the tree of life, now listen closely, the tree of life made mankind immortal. If you go back to what God says when he kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden, he says, lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So if you eat of this tree of life, it gives you immortality. You live forever. So we know that much. If we eat of it, We live forever. But now, we can't eat of it. Because we see here that God drove us out of the Garden of Eden, and He blocked the way. So He booted Adam and Eve out, which, if they would have stayed in there, could have had access to that tree of life, and eat it, and live forever, and gain immortality. But God says, wait a minute... If they find that tree and they eat it, they're going to live forever. So drive them out because of sin. Get them out. We can't eat of the tree because it is blocked now by the cherubim. Remember, it says, So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the garden of Eden cherubims in a flaming sword which turns every way to keep the way of the tree of life. So it is blocked now. This flaming sword held by the cherubim, swings in whatever direction that if anyone would try to go back and pluck a fruit off of that tree of life, the cherubim blocked the way with the flaming sword because we sinned. This means that God drove mankind out of paradise. You realize that the Garden of Eden was paradise. It was paradise. Perfect. Nothing was wrong. It was perfect. But now... We lost it. We're kicked out. We're driven out. And God seals that with the cherubim, with flaming sword. Because we sinned. When we sinned, God drove us out. When we sinned, we lost paradise. When we sinned, we lost the right to pluck the fruit off the tree of life and to eat it. Therefore, we die now. We must die. We lost eternal life. The curse of death came over us. We're mortal now. We die. Brothers and sisters, I don't want to be depressing, but I I feel it creeping over me. I do. 44 years old. And I feel it creeping over me. I put a a floor in. My wife wanted a new floor in our bedroom. I put it in early this week. It laid me up the whole next day. I walked around like I was 85 years old, just walking around like this. My knees hurt so bad. And it's all because... I can't eat of that tree of life. If I could just have a bite of that, I'd never die. I'd always have youth and vitality. I'd have eternal life. But the curse of death came over us, and we're mortal now, and we die. Now, we've got to deal with cancer, don't we? How many of us in here have not been touched by cancer in some way, shape, or form? All of us have. Now we've got to deal with crime. Who in here hasn't had something stolen? Who in here hasn't stolen something? Now we have to deal with loneliness. Now we have to deal with depression, hatred, suicide, bombings, war, drugs, alcohol. It ravishes the whole world now because we're driven out of paradise. We lost paradise. It was perfect. Didn't have any of this junk that I'm telling you now. And we lost it because of sin. And the way's blocked now by cherubim with flaming swords. Now we have to deal with accidents. Now we have to deal with injuries. Now we have to deal with age. Well, we have to deal with time. We were never meant to deal with those things. I've preached this before, but we were meant to be innocent creatures, not even knowing good and evil. We weren't even supposed to be enlightened to those things. It's actually kind of depressing if you think about it, really. It is depressing. So God boots man out of the Garden of Eden and blocks the way with a cherubim with some sort of flaming sword. Now cherubim is a plural word for cherub. Okay, cherub, many cherubs are cherubim, which is pretty much an angel, some sort of heavenly being that does God's bidding. You know, I know... Lots of people like to get into what exactly a cherubim is. They're different from angels, but I don't want to get into all that. They're some sort of cherubim or some sort of heavenly beings that do God's bidding, okay? And now we can't eat of the tree of life, therefore we die, because cherubim, Genesis tells us, cherubim have sealed the way. Cherubim balk and defend the way to eternal life, that tree of life. Now you might be thinking, what in the world does this have to do with the veil? Remember moments ago I was telling you about the veil. I told you this morning we're going to jump to things that seem completely unrelated. Now you might be thinking, what, what does this have to do with the veil? Actually, an awful lot. A whole lot. You see, there's a part about the veil that no one really talks about. Very easy to miss over. I read this a number of months ago and been wanting to preach on it ever since, but I saved it up for Easter. I felt like God would have it be appropriate for this morning. See, there's a part about this veil no one talks about. Now, I've read in some uh, internet articles that some people say that the veil was 60 feet tall. Some people say that the veil was several inches thick. Now, we don't really know that. The Bible doesn't tell us exactly about it. Those are just kind of more educated guesses. The Bible doesn't give us dimensions for the veil. But I think God would ask us today, on this Resurrection Sunday, what was on the veil? I mean, the veil was made by cunning craftsmen. If you read in Exodus, they actually searched for the most Cunning craftsmen, the most skilled of the skilled when it comes to building the tabernacle. This tabernacle, God gave instructions to build it and very precise instructions indeed. So they sought out the most skilled of the skilled builders to build all this instrumentation. They looked for the best of the best. And this veil was a, a woven tapestry. Wouldn't, maybe, possibly, the skilled craftsmen put some type of artwork on the veil now towards the end of the book of Exodus God gives Moses the instructions on how to build the tabernacle now stick with me everything's going to tie together and in those instructions found in Exodus God tells them specifically how to make the veil now we must remember everything God does is very intentional in other words he does things on purpose He does nothing whimsically. We do things whimsically. God does not. He has not ever been caught off guard, nor ever will He be caught off guard. God has never, ever, ever, let this register in your mind, been surprised. Never been surprised. He could see the end from the beginning, the beginning from the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. So God tells them specifically, with, with that in mind, God tells them specifically how to make this veil. And remember God's intentionality. Now, with God's intentionality in mind, let's look at Exodus chapter 26 in verse 31. Listen now. And thou shalt make a veil of blue, and purple, and scarlet, and fine twined linen of cunning work. With cherubims shall it be made. Let me read that to you in the NIV. Make a curtain of blue, purple, and scarlet yarn in fine twisted linen with cherubim woven into it by a skilled worker. Brothers and sisters, the veil had cherubim woven onto it. So when the priest walked up and saw the veil which shielded the presence of God, he saw images of cherubim on this veil. These angelic creatures on the veil. Okay, The image of the cherubim. On the veil separated God from man. So, if you want to go to God, you have to go through the cherubim with the flaming swords. Listen to me now. When the veil was torn from top to bottom, so was the image of the cherubim. What does that mean? That these image of the cherubim was destroyed. It was destroyed. The image was rent in two. The way was parted. What does it mean? I think God would remind us today, church, that when Jesus died, the veil was torn, and our sins were paid for, for all who would believe. The image of the cherubim was destroyed, therefore opening the way back to the tree of life. God supernaturally, listen now, God supernaturally split the veil and parted the guardians of Eden, allowing mankind to come back and regain paradise, which He lost at the beginning of time. Those cherubim, listen to me now, those cherubim under the command of God were blocking the way so that we could not pass through and partake of the tree of life. But Jesus, but Jesus... But Jesus, the testament of Yeshua HaMashiach, His life, His death, His burial, His resurrection, released those cherubim from their duty of blocking the way back to paradise. Can anyone say hallelujah to that this morning? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now a scumbag like me, a wretch like me, a sinful individual like me can go in and eat of that tree of life and gain life everlasting because the cherubim are destroyed. They're released from their duty of blocking the way. Hallelujah. That's what Resurrection Sunday is all about. That's what a risen Savior does. That's the power of salvation right there. The blood of Jesus. Hallelujah. Now I can go in. Can anyone say, thank God for Resurrection Sunday? You can take the eggs or the kids out of here. I can't stand the eggs, the Easter bunny. Get them all out of my face. But I love the Lord Jesus. I love the Lord Jesus. There ain't no mistaking in what I deserve. There ain't no mistaking in what I deserve. I told you before, months ago, that it took a long time for the gospel to stick in me. A long time. I wasted many years, gave my mom and dad lots of fits, wasted a lot of money, wasted a lot of valuable, precious time, but it finally stuck in me, and it has made all the difference in the world. Again, I don't know where I would be, I do not know where I would be without the saving blood of Jesus Christ. I know what I would be, lost, but I don't know where I'd be without Him if i can invite the band back listen to this now to completely bring this to a close remember everything in the bible ties together it's just a matter of how hard we want to search it out revelation chapter 22 verse 13 says this it says i am the alpha and the omega this is jesus speaking now it says i am the alpha and the omega the first and the last the beginning and the end Verse 14 says, Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Do you see that if we come to Christ and we tell Him, Lord Jesus, wash me in Your blood. I am a sinner. Wash me, Lord. I admit to my sins. I believe in Your death, burial, and resurrection, and I confess on it. The Lord says then that cleanses you and washes you and then you have earned the right to go and eat of the tree of life and you'll live life eternally. Boy, I love that. I love it so much. Let's pray, church. Father God, how much we love You. Oh God, I thank You, Lord, that You destroyed the image of the cherubim on that veil, Lord. Lord, You destroyed that image, Lord, and it represents that now us common people regular old men and women, children and teenagers, elderly and young, we can approach You, Father God. We can approach You, Lord, and eat of that tree. Lord, we can regain paradise which we lost in the Garden of Eden, Father God. And it's all made possible by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, we thank You for the old rugged cross this morning. Lord, we love You. In Jesus' name. Amen. Just before we're dismissed, church, we do like to do communion uh, on Resurrection Sunday. Um, We are going to do things a little bit differently. Uh, You do see the three different tables here at the front. That table is for that section. Okay. This middle table is for the middle section. That table is for that section. What I would like to do is dismiss you to come down Take one of the elements of bread and one of the juice. Now we have kind of two different kind at each table. Uh, There is a packet on some of these that contains both the the bread and the juice in it. So don't take that and another thing. If you get the self-contained unit, you can grab one of those. That is enough. But if not, you take the other one. Take a bread and a juice. So. We thought we would do this instead of passing it around. So at this time, I'd like to dismiss everyone on this side, in the middle, and on that side. Come down and please get your elements and take them back to your seats. If there's any children in here, parents, be careful with the kids. We're going to try not to have too many stains in our carpet. So please make your way down. We'll give you a few moments. And you can wait a few minutes if it's clustered up and to get cleared. Everybody getting taken care of. Thank you, Chad. Thank you, ushers. I was hoping for a miracle like the fish in the loaves when God multiplied and we were worried we might run out. It looks like we have enough, I believe. Everyone okay then? Great. Okay. Now, communion does come with a warning. Uh, and we do want to take this very solemnly. The Bible says this in Corinthians. It says, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and the blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eats and drinks unworthily eats and drinks damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep we'll take just a few moments to pray and I do pray and ask that you search your soul and make sure that you eat and drink worthily Father God we do thank you this morning Lord Lord we love to do communion Lord and, and commemorate your death until you come Lord especially on this resurrection Sunday Lord Lord we thank you so much for the cross of Calvary Lord where it offers to us forgiveness of sins that every last one of us has committed Lord, I pray, Father God, that you cleanse us with the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Make us pure. Give us a pure heart. Give us clean hands, Father God. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, Lord. Purify me, Father God, as we take holy communion even now, Lord Jesus. We bless your name. Amen and amen. The Bible says this, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And we had, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken from you. This do in remembrance of me. Everyone please partake of the bread. Goes on to say this, After the same manner also he took the cup. When he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he come. Let's everyone please partake of the juice. Before we go, you know, I like to present what's called the ABCs of Christianity. Very simple. A stands for admitting. Admitting. That first step. How can you be saved if you can't even admit that there's anything wrong? The very first step to Christianity. The very first step to being saved is admitting that you got problems. Admitting that you've broke His moral law. Admitting you've broke the Ten Commandments. Admitting that you are not perfect. And then you believe. You believe in His death, His burial, His resurrection. You believe in the Lord Jesus' sinless life. So you admit... Then you believe, and then you confess on it with your mouth. The Bible tells us that if you confess it with your mouth and you believe it in your heart, you shall be saved. If there's anyone in here that would like to be saved, please let us know. Anyone that wants to be saved, please let me know. Either now, don't be afraid, don't be ashamed, don't worry about it. What could hold you back from salvation? We're talking about eternity here. But please do not hesitate to come and find me after the service find my phone number shoot me a text give me a call I will gladly walk through what's called the Romans road with you find me after the service and I'll go through it with you admit believe and confess on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved let's pray